Are you the type of leader who wants to leave behind a legacy? Well, I'd love to help you unlock a legacy of excellence with the School Leadership Toolkit. For just $97, you'll gain access to 10 easy-to-implement resources, including templates, frameworks, and bonus content designed to help you manage your to-do list, make better decisions, navigate difficult conversations, and support your team. Fast-track solutions to your challenges by grabbing the toolkit at schoolsofexcellence.com toolkit or click the link in the show notes. Elevate your leadership journey today. Welcome to the Schools of Excellence podcast, where we have conversations about education, leadership, and building a school of excellence. The goal on this show is to bring you clarity, up-level your mindset, and give you practical strategies and inspiration so you can show up with confidence and trust your decision-making. I'm Khani Olshansky. I'm a mom of four under 10, a former New Yorker, and been in the early childhood field my entire life. And I'm so grateful that you've joined me for this conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to the Schools of Excellence podcast. We are continuing the ECE 2024 forecast, where we are continuing to explore the dynamic landscape of early education for the year of 2024 and beyond. So in the past two episodes, we started to talk about pioneering a new era of leadership and also uncovering parent partnerships and how that's really evolved. Today, we're going to be talking about child relationships, which is the third key pillar in how early childhood is going to evolve and change over the next year and really the next decade and beyond. And then the final episode will be around the financial component of how that's impacting our early childhood sector. So let's start off with creating some context to the component of why child relationships is such an integral part that we have to dive into for 2024. So the pandemic has caused so many major delays Uh, developmental delays, especially in children ages three and under. And we know that birth to five years old are the foundational years for forever and beyond. And so the delays that have happened due to the lockdowns and due to COVID have really have lasting impacts. So one of the key contributing factors to language delays is reduced social interaction that a lot of the young children experience during the COVID-19 pandemic. Social interaction really plays a critical role in language development uh, with communication, with engaging with others. And so the limitations on social gatherings disrupted crucial developmental processes. So this is a huge impact why we're seeing a surge in behavioral challenges with children inside of the classroom. So what I mean by surge in behavioral challenges inside of the classroom is you know, you have a lot of veteran teachers who have been in the industry for 10, 20, 30, 40 years even, and they're coming into the classrooms now and they're experiencing an onslaught of challenging behaviors that they are so inequipped to deal with. And so they're looking at these behaviors and like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. This is really hard. This is, you know, this is completely out of the scope of what I'm familiar with. And the reason is, is because we've been in this pressure cooker in a vacuum for such a long time on the impact that all of these mandates or whatever was had on our children. So, and now we're dealing with the repercussions. So another huge component that has impacted child behavior and therefore the relationships that we're having with the children is the pandemic and a lot of other societal factors led to an increase in parental anxiety. So if you have not had a chance to listen to last week's episode on parent partnerships, go back and listen to that episode where I really explain how parent partnerships 
and relationships with parents have really evolved and how that is actually causing a huge turnover crisis inside of our industry. But parental anxiety, where parents have a lot of concerns on their children's health and their safety and their educational process, this just level of heightened anxiety uh, really impacts child serenity, homostasis, peace, uh, their nervous system regulation. All of these things really get impacted because the the child's environment is such a huge component of how they grow up and how they evolve. So when a child is growing up in a home where there are two functioning parents, um, or even one functioning parent, you, you look at some of the science, um, you know, where children need to have at least one parent who is mentally and emotionally stable, and they will be fine as, you know, as they progress through, uh, through adulthood and through, you know, just, just really childhood and adolescence and merging into adulthood. So when a child grows up with stability, and nature isn't kind of breaking uh, the child's development and how their brain is evolving. Things are good, right? They're flowing through it. But when a child is growing up in a pressure cooker where there is mental struggles, where there is mental health, where there is disease, where there is illness, where there is strife, where there is just so much other contributing factors, that is going to disrupt the child's natural evolution in their environment. So Gabor Mate is someone that I really respect his opinion and perspective on mental health. He's written multiple books and he has a really unique way of understanding child development, really unique way of explaining the perspective of child development. So I'd love to share with you here a short clip where he talks about nature's agenda for children and how they're really evolved and what is happening now and what has been happening for a while. So let's take a quick clip inside of here so you can see another perspective on child development. The natural agenda is that you should grow up to be a self-regulated adult in connection with yourself and with other people that's nature's agenda it's like nature's agenda for an acorn to become an oak tree but an acorn doesn't spontaneously become an oak tree it has to have the right conditions mm -hmm. so it's not a question of teaching the oak tree the, the the acorn to be an oak tree just give it the nourishment and the sunlight and and and, and the earth and, and and irrigation that it needs it's nature is to become an oak tree. Right. The nature of human beings is to become self-regulated, uh, socially responsible creatures. That's how we evolved. Given the right conditions, that will happen. So it's not a question of teaching all these things. Yeah, there's some teaching involved. Mostly it's the question of meeting children's needs, giving them the right conditions, and then they will develop self-regulation. Mm -hmm. They learn it because you're self-regulated, so they're watching you. You're not reactive and explosive you're not reactive, and screaming. You know, you know, your eyes, oh, I'm angry. Okay, I'm angry. But you're not screaming at the kid. So in the right environment, these traits spontaneously evolve or develop in a human being. So our society is always about how do we teach these skills and no skills? Well, teaching is important, but more important is the child's spontaneous growth mm -hmm. given the right environment. And what I'm saying about this toxic culture, we don't give our kids the right environment. So another thing that has really been impacted with child development specifically during these last three years is the cognitive development, right? So we have so many studies that are finding that cognition is lower, historically lower, because of the reduced cognitive stimulation that has happened due to the disruptions in early childhood education. So you're seeing lower language language barriers, lower cognitive development. Another huge component that has really increased the the 
really, I'm calling it an onslaught of behaviors because teachers are struggling and leaders are struggling with understanding how to address these behaviors. So some of the things that we're seeing is actually this role reversal where teachers feel that, you know, the children are demonstrating behaviors or knowledge gap that the teachers aren't accustomed to seeing. And this dynamic is very disoriented for educators who are really accustomed to being the guiders and the instructors and the mentors and the facilitators. And so what's happening a lot is teachers are not feeling good about themselves and so they're actually looking to the children to find validity in what they're good at, right? So they're trying to control a lot of behaviors. What I see a lot, and just to help you gain some perspective here, when we see teachers that are obsessing over tactics and constantly looking for what strategy can I use? What tactic can I use? How do I get the child to do this? How do I get the child to do this? How do I get this to happen? How do I get this to happen? Those questions are a red flag. Here's why. When a teacher's obsessing over tactics and mechanics, she is obsessively trying to control her environment. I will say that again. When someone is obsessively looking for tactics and tactics and tactics, they are obsessively trying to control and manipulate the environment so they can feel safe as opposed to understanding that safety is an internal game, not an external game. And they need to learn how to self-soothe and self-regulate in order to feel safe inside of themselves. So I see, see this all the time with our clients when we have owners and directors on coaching calls, when they're asking constantly for, you know, mechanics and, and tactics and, well, how do I do this and how to do this? I'm like, what are you trying to control right now? What in your environment feels so out of control that you are trying to control and manipulate right now? And you're trying to do that through a tactic. You're trying to do that through some sort of strategy. I've said this many times in the podcast. I say this, you know, when I work with clients, we need to be better problem identifiers before we become really good problem solvers. I think early childhood educators are focusing a lot on how to solve problems as opposed to understanding how to identify what are the actual problems that we need to be solving. And I'm bringing this this up here because if we want to pioneer a new era of leadership, if we want to start to see a shift in the relationships that teachers are having with their children, if we want to see a decrease in some of these behaviors, we have to be asking the right questions. And the right questions are not running to behavioral specialists and saying, how do I deal deal with this? Give me the tactics. Give me the strategies. That is looking for a solution before you understand the problem that you're trying to solve. So many of the challenges inside of the classroom with the children can actually be reduced when a teacher knows how to regulate herself, soothe herself, calm her own nervous system, take a pause, take a breath. When they can actually do that, the environment in the classroom shifts instantly, instantly it shifts when the teacher brings down her own cortisol level. The issue with that is that means that we have to look internally and that's hard to do because now we have to be self-reflective. Now we actually have to be self-aware. Now we actually have to look into the mirror. Now we actually have uh, some semblance of control, actually, because you can only control yourself. When you're constantly looking for those strategies of how to control the kids, you're looking for quick fixes. And we all know this. Quick fixes do not last. That's why they're called quick fixes. You're going to have to go fix it again tomorrow. If you're looking to build sustainability and you're looking to build legacy for the long term inside of your center and the infrastructure in your center, you need to understand what's at play here. And that is why I'm providing this perspective. 
I've always committed that this podcast and whenever people come to me for consulting or for questions or book me for leadership day consults or whatever it is, I always say again and again, I am not the tactics person ever. I never want to be the tactics person because tactics are a dime a dozen. What you need is the right questions and the right perspective so you understand what is the problem that you're actually trying to solve. When you understand the problem that you're actually trying to solve, guess what? Here's an amazing secret. You actually know the answer to it. You know the tactic that goes there. We obsess over the tactics because we don't even understand the problem that we're solving or the question that we should be asking. And the questions are hard to ask because they require internal reflection. They require internal reflection, which... It's by its very nature, uncomfortable. And we don't want to be, you know, uncomfortable. So let's go a layer deeper. Why should you be dedicating time, energy, resources, money towards figuring out how to enhance the teacher-child relationship? Why is this a key focus? Why am I dedicating a whole podcast and saying this is one of the four pillars that we need to be working on in 2024 and beyond? Well, let's understand a little bit about the child psychology and how the child processes a teacher's fear, a teacher's blame, a teacher's attempt at manipulation and control, a teacher's lack of self-soothing and self-regulation. Children tell themselves the story that they are at fault. They shame themselves. They they self-blame themselves when distressing events go unrepaired. So when a child experiences a distressing moment, a moment of stress from a primary caregiver, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, and that event goes unrepaired, which means the teacher or the primary caregiver did not repair it, right? Didn't actually understand that they caused stress and rupture in the relationship. The child interprets that this is my fault. This is my fault. I'm at fault here. And so think of so many adults, right? Myself, so many of the clients that we work with, we internalize so much self-blame, which turns into people-pleasing, which turns into over-functioning, which turns into constantly like over-giving until you actually have nothing left, right? And then it becomes a lifetime of trying to repair that and actually say, no, you are enough. No, you are good enough. No, you don't need to do anything extra. If we are committing ourselves to the mission, of running early childhood facilities, of creating these childcare spaces, of saying, and all of our walls and our values saying that we value the children, what does it mean to value the child? What does it mean to create a relationship with the child? What does it mean when you say the children are the most important? What does that actually mean? It means that you value the perception and the growth that that child experiences. And I'm talking about the mental and emotional stories that the child internalizes, internalizes that they carry with them all the way through adulthood. So we obsess over things that are important. Academics are important. Social interaction is important. Yes, here is the part that we are missing, which is such a critical part. It is the relationship that the child has with the caregiver. And what I mean by relationship is, does the child feel safe in that child's, in that teacher's presence? Not just physically safe, like, oh, this teacher's not going to physically hurt me. Those are table stakes. I'm talking about when the teacher makes a mistake, because your teachers will, because they are human, and just like I make mistakes as a parent because I am human, I need to know how to repair that relationship. So Dr. Becky Kennedy, she's the author of Good Inside. She has a podcast called Good Inside. 
She's got a ton of phenomenal content. I really, really love the work that she's doing in the world. So she recently came out with a TED Talk on the most important parenting strategy, which I actually think is actually the most important educational or primary caregiver strategy. So we're, I'm going to drop a link inside of here. We can listen to a short clip from her TED Talk. And the link is in the show notes where you can go listen to the full TED Talk where she talks about why it is so critical for our staff to learn skills so they can love, train, and educate our children and the next generation of leaders. Now he has to figure out a way to get back to feeling safe and secure. And if I don't go help him do that through making a repair, he has to rely on one of the only coping mechanisms he has at his own disposal, self-blame. Self-blame sounds like this. Something's wrong with me. I'm unlovable. I make bad things happen. Ronald Fairburn may have said it best when he wrote that for kids, it is better to be a sinner in a world ruled by God than to live in a world ruled by the devil. In other words, it's actually adaptive for a child to internalize badness and fault, because at least then they can hold on to the idea that their parents and the world around them is safe and good. And while self-blame works for us in childhood, we all know it works against us in adulthood. Something's wrong with me. I make bad things happen. I'm unlovable. These are the core fears of so many adults. But really, we see here, they are actually the childhood stories we wrote when we were left alone following distressing events that went unrepaired. Plus, adults with self-blame are vulnerable to depression, anxiety, deep feelings of worthlessness, none of which we want for our kids. And we can do better. And it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. When you repair, you go further than removing a child's story of self-blame. You get to add in all the elements that were missing in the first place. Safety, connection, coherence, love, goodness. It's as if you're saying to a child, I will not let this chapter of your life end in self-blame. Yes, this chapter will still contain the event of yelling but I can ensure this chapter has a different ending and therefore a different title and theme and lesson learned. Okay, so again, the reason that I'm taking the time to share with you these different insights from these other experts is because I want you to understand that there are so many other perspectives to look at when you are building your framework for 2024 and how your staff and your educational team are going to go actively and build relationships with the children. We sometimes go to the easy clickbaitable things that everyone's talking about. Oh, go invest in, you know, conscious discipline. Oh, go invest in this person. And she's a child, you know, behavioral specialist. She could teach your staff on how to deal with child behaviors. There's nothing wrong with investing in someone who's going to come down and teach your staff how to work with child behaviors. But first, please be a leader and ask yourself the question, what are the skills that my teachers actually need? Do they actually need these tools? Are these the tools? What problems are these tools and strategies solving? 
What are they solving? They're solving the what? The biting problem in the classroom. They're solving the hitting problem. They're solving the quote unquote not listening problem. What is it solving inside of the classroom? Or is there a leadership challenge inside of the classroom where the teachers need to learn how to pause, how to speak a little bit softer, how to go a little bit slower inside of the day, how when the child does something, it is not a personal attack. It is the child communicating a need. And so what the teacher needs to do is pause and breathe and self-soothe and self-regulate and then come to the child right? And then come to the child. So many teachers say, what does the child need? That's the wrong question. What does the teacher need? What does the primary caregiver need? Because the moment they have their needs met, it's a classic, put your oxygen mask on first. You will know what to do with the child. You will know. The reason you are running to ask the question, what does the child need? Is because you have spent a lifetime not listening to yourself. You have spent a lifetime not learning how to listen to your own needs. And so you're running to control the needs of others. Stop it. Learn how to ask yourself the question first. What do I need in this moment? Do I need to take a breath? Do I need to relax my eyebrows? Do I need to relax my shoulders? Try it. Relax your eyebrows. Relax your shoulders. Unclench your jaw. How does that feel? A lot better. Good. Now do that. Multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. Every time you're engaging with the child, unclench your jaw, unclench your eyebrows, relax your shoulders, take a deep belly breath, right? Release and then engage and then come to the child. It's a totally different experience. It's a totally different experience. The way that we work with this challenge is we need to take an approach where we are teaching our staff that children are not supposed to be regulated. They're kids. And here's a secret. It's actually not such a secret. Most teachers in your classrooms don't have fully regulated bodies either because they're under 25. And until you're 25 and 26 years old, your brain isn't actually fully developed. So a lot of your staff have underdeveloped brains teaching kids that also have underdeveloped brains. And so Those teachers are coming into classrooms, not fully understanding how to regulate themselves, not fully understanding how to soothe themselves, not fully understanding their needs when they're in high pressure, high stakes situations, not understanding how to communicate when they're overwhelmed, not understanding to even be aware of the signals of, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed right now. There is so much blatant unself-awareness and those teachers are coming into the classroom trying to teach our kids what? How to do all the things that they don't know how to do that they don't know how to do. You can only give as much as you have of yourself. You can only take your kids as far as you've taken yourself. So Brene Brown talks about this all the time, if anyone's familiar with her work. And when I remember when I was a new parent, I was like, that's bullshit. I I disagree with that. I could take my kids way further than I've ever taken myself. I love my kids way more than I love myself. I grew up a little bit and now I, you know, disagree with that. I do. I have to love myself enough for me to create capacity to love my kids on such a deep and unconditional, beautiful level. I need to know how to regulate myself if I want to model self-regulation with my kids. I need to know how to self-soothe myself so I can show my children that when they are angry and frustrated and have emotions that feel bigger than themselves, they can learn how to soothe themselves. These are critical skills that we don't teach grownups. And then these grownups are going to teach our kids. They need to know how to do this. So you're listening to this podcast and you're like, one second, I thought this was a whole conversation on child relationships. It is. 
But first, you need to have a relationship with yourself. The teacher needs to educate and calm herself and himself before they go into the classroom, before they know how to do this for the children. So let's talk about some practical strategy that we can do over here, right? And I've shared a lot already where teachers need to learn how to self-soothe, how to self-regulate, how to do these things. But now let me give you some other practical components on how to perhaps make this a focal point for 2024 for you. If you're seeing a lot of behavioral challenges, if you are seeing a lot of staff struggling with navigating these challenges, one of the ways that you can go about this is getting into one-on-ones with your teaching teams and asking them questions like, what do you do when you get overwhelmed with the children in the classroom? And the teacher might be quiet. They might look at you like a deer in the headlights. They might say, oh, I don't get overwhelmed. And that's when you can give a preemptive and say, working with children can feel overwhelming at times. They have big emotions that are sometimes bigger than their bodies can handle. Working with young kids can feel, sometimes feel a little bit chaotic at times, kind of like a little bit controlled chaos. There's a lot of voices, a lot of sensory stimuli. And so one of the things that are really important in our center is we want to help our teachers really feel regulated and calm and at peace with themselves because that is the best role modeling and facilitation that we could possibly give our children. And so I want to chat with you. When you feeling, when you feel moments of overwhelm or emotions that feel overwhelming for your body, what are you doing until now? Is there anything specific that you've been leaning on? And she might say no. Or she might say yes, or she might say, I don't know. And that's where you become the coach and the mentor and the guide. That's what it means to be a leader. This is where you say, okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's unpack the day. Let's look at your schedule of the day. So we start the day off, whatever her shift is, right? So if her shift is, I don't know, the morning shift, and there's maybe some open tables that the kids are playing at. Maybe she's also in charge of snack duty and lunch duty and outdoor duty. And I don't know, whatever her schedule is, right? And so take the schedule open it up, sit it in front of her and say, walk me through the schedule of the day. Where are there moments that when you see that part of the day, your stomach tightens a little bit. You're like, oh, this is a little bit tricky sometimes. Create that safety where she can actually listen to her body. How do you create safety in that one-on-one? You speak slower. You work slower. Your voice goes slower and you create the space and quiet for her to drop into her body. And you can literally coach her through this and say, when you look at transitioning the 18 two-year-olds from the inside to the outside, I want you to pause. I want you to close your eyes, drop into your body. And where are you feeling tightness? She will tell you in my neck, in my stomach, you know, in my throat, where are you feeling tightness? Okay. Where's the tightness coming from? Where, what feels like anxiety inducing or overwhelming or just like plain stressful or you feel out of control? Walk me through those moments. This is how to be a leader. This is how to facilitate coaching conversations and an up leveling of their consciousness to actually be aware of what is happening inside of their classrooms, right? So that's one very foundational thing that you can do, which is have these conversations and guide your staff through them. So this is one of my specialties. This is what I do all the time when I work with clients on coaching calls and one-on-one calls. When I go in and do leadership days with, with schools, we do a lot of role-playing in these facilitations. So if you're interested in diving more into this, please click the link in the show notes. We have links to, you know, apply for a leadership day, apply for, a you know, join us in our owner's group, our directors in our circle, so you can learn how to do this. These are really important leadership skills, okay? So that's a one-on-one. 
Here's something else that you can do, which will give you insight into where are the pressure points inside of the classrooms when it comes to child-teacher relationships. So one of the frameworks that we have inside of our directors inner circle is the six performance keys. And the six performance keys are the six key areas that teachers need to work on and excel in to be a teacher of excellence. One of those things is child relationships. And so going in and learning how to observe a teacher and child relationship. So you're not going in many times owners or directors go in and they go in and they see what their brain is trained to see. So for example, some people, when they come into a room, the first thing that they notice is the clutter. Some people, when they walk into a room, the first thing that they notice, my husband's like this, he notices any angles that are not aligned. So if a picture is crooked or if there's new construction and that's like falling apart or if the, you know, couch is not symmetrical with the carpet, like that's the first thing that he notices. He's artistic. He has this design like that's I, I don't notice any of that. So what is the first thing that you notice when you come into a classroom, when you come into a building? Well, depending on your role in the company, depending on your kind of perspective and the way your brain is wired, that's what your focal point is going to be. That's what you're going to see. So when you go into observe a classroom, you have to train your brain to look for what it wants to see. So if you're going into the classroom to observe teacher-child relationships, you actually have to tell yourself, I am not here to look at the clutter. I am not here to look at how many paintbrushes are in the sink that aren't cleaned. I am not here to look and see if they need a restock of diapers or paper towel. I am here to see the interaction and the subtle nuances of facial expression, tone, and body language that the teacher is modeling to the children in the classroom. And we have a whole framework inside of our directors in our circle, how to look at that, how to observe that, all the points associated with that. When you do that, then you pull the teacher in and you're able to actually say, here are some of the things that I noticed, right? Here are all the beautiful moments of connection that I noticed that you created with the children. Here are some of the moments where there was... <clears throat> moments of disconnection that was created. And here is where there was opportunity to repair. So just like Dr. Becky was talking about a couple minutes ago that I shared in the episode, repair is a critical component of child relationships that you want to train your staff on. So staff are going to make mistakes. They are human. They're going to have heated moments. They're going to say things to the kids that are not the best things to say. They're going to do things to the kids that maybe aren't the best things to do to the kids. They are going to have interactions with their co-teacher that maybe are things that the children shouldn't have witnessed. They are human. To tell yourself a lie that these things don't happen in your center is literally burying your head in the sand. Stop it. Like, just stop it. These things happen. They happen inside of every classroom and every household. The most loving, intentional, amazing parents make mistakes. They make mistakes because it is part of the human experience. They make mistakes. We say things we regret. We do things that we regret because we get caught up in those moments. Now, the beauty, the beauty of the human experience is that we also get to apologize. We also get to repair. We also get to come back in a moment of disconnection and come back and create reconnection and repair that moment. We get to do that. It is available to all of us. And so what happens a lot is when teachers are obsessed with being perfect and doing everything right and making sure that no one sees anything that they're doing then 
when they do something that actually could be repaired, they tell themselves a story like, it wasn't so bad. It's fine. The kid's not going to remember. We remember everything. Even if it's not cognitive remembering, your body remembers. If you need more scientific research, there is a book called The Body Keeps Score, and it always wins. And your body keeps score. We know this. We know this from in utero when a pregnant woman is in stress, is in any kind of like stressful situation, the uterus feels it. It feels it. It experiences it and internalizes it. So before the child is three years old, 75% of their brain is already formed. Before they're three, how many of you have memories of before you were three years old? Rarely does anyone actually remember anything, but your body remembers. So we need to stop dismissing the hard things that we need to be doing with teacher-child relationships. And this is one of the areas that we have to go and lean into this discomfort and learn how to train ourselves on how to do this. So one-on-ones, classroom observations. Third thing to work on, help your teachers learn how to drop in and create a calm state in any place, any moment, anywhere where they are. How do you do that? You model meditation practices. You model mindfulness practices. So in the same way that you meet with your staff once a week or once a month, you do these retreats or you connect with them or whatever you do with them, whatever touch points. When you are in the space of a collective community, lead and start off the meeting with a meditation. Start off the meeting with a five-minute relaxation, helping them learn how to do this consistently. When they're in a stressful moment with the kids, you can't do a five-minute meditation, but here's what you can do, a 30-second pause. You absolutely can do a 30-second pause. A 30-second pause is way faster than whatever verbal vomit's going to come out of that teacher's mouth. So this is training the staff on how to do things that are very, very different, but actually a lot, lot easier in the long term. Hard in the short term because it's uncomfortable and we don't like to do discomfort, but phenomenal in the long term. Let's wrap up here. We spoke about the importance of child relationships. We spoke about understanding the value of the teacher creating these beautiful relationships with the children. I created context for where the breakage points are and why we have to stop obsessing over child behavior management and actually help our staff learn how to build authentic relationships with children. So I hope this episode was helpful. I hope that you are taking away something that is practical that you can go take action on. And if you need additional support, if you're like, this is an amazing episode, but I need help. I don't know actually what to do next. You know, I want someone to guide us through this. This is what our company is phenomenal at. So click the link in the show notes, apply for a conversation with myself for direct visitor circle or owners, or possibly coming to do a leadership day retreat or a training for your staff. All of these things are phenomenal options that we can support you guys with in just creating this type of culture and environment inside of your classroom. So thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. Next week, we have our final episode in our ECE forecast on the financial state of the industry. Thanks for joining me. If you are loving the Schools of Excellence podcast and have gotten any value out of it for your school, I would love if you can do two things for me. One, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And two, can you please leave us a review? Reviews help other school leaders know that this is the place to learn how to build a school of excellence. And I would be so grateful if you can do that for us. Your help and support makes this show to be able to be listened by the thousands of other school leaders all around the world. 
Thanks so much for listening, for giving us your time and attention each and every week. And I appreciate that you have joined us.